my first team was Switzerland, and I basically decided, yep, there is, there is a dog, <laughs> there is a dog in the bar, <laughs> dog friendly, that's a good um, my, my agent gave me a list of different countries that were interested in me, of elimination and just kind of decided, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just deciding what might be interesting, I, I decided to go to Switzerland. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food, and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the pod. Um, perhaps some of you noticed, but just in case you did not, that angelic voice we heard at the beginning, accompanied with a lovely dose of canine support, was in fact my voice. Yes, today's episode is a look into my story as a student athlete at the University of Minnesota and as a professional athlete overseas. Perhaps some of you have wondered over the course of the last, I don't know, 75 podcasts or so, who I am, where I'm from, and what's brought me to start this podcast. Well, today is the day. (laughs) All things revealed with Leslie Knight and the co-host in today's episode, Anna McCusker Fernandez. Let's get to it. Roll it. <laughs> okay, uh, Leslie Height, welcome to your podcast. <laughs> Why, thank you, Anna. <laughs> thank you for the invitation. <laughs> We've switched roles, haven't we? We have, and it's a little weird being on this side, but uh, I trust you. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so let's set the scene. The scene. Um, well, currently we are sitting in your new apartment that you've been here almost one year. Exactly. And it's the first time that I've been here. I absolutely love it. Plenty of natural light. Uh, furniture is good. The decoration is um, very tasteful, I would say. So Thanks for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. And we have this nice spread of empanada, queso... Uh, ceboinas. Ceboinas? Ceboinas. We don't know how to say it. <laughs> and some zero zero non alcoholic beer. <laughs> we don't want to get too crazy. Patrocinado por Mao Cero Cero. Yes. <laughs> so let's get started. What do you think? Uh, what was your first sports memory as a young girl? Um. I think my first sports memory, I don't know if this really counts, but I remember my brothers were in Boy Scouts as little kids, 
And as the younger sister, I was dragged to everything that my older brothers were participating in. And I remember they had a camping trip and we were walking in the woods down this path to like archery, uh, the archery lesson of the day. And I don't know how old I was, but I just remember going to participate in like bow and arrow archery shooting. (laughs) So if that counts, that's maybe my first memory. (laughs) <laughs> as a sport I don't know I mean it's a sport right so it's an yeah. Olympic sport event so yeah that counts and did you grow up in a sports minded family um yes well my brothers played uh we all played basketball baseball fast pitch soccer uh one of my brothers did track and field golf Um, but my parents, I mean, they were athletes, but it's not like the younger generations today where now there are some, I have teammates whose parents were college athletes. Mm. Um, my parents, my dad played basketball, I think at a community college. Um, and I do have memories of going to see some of his games when I was little. Mm. He was like, you know, back in the day, the short shorts and he had like puffy Afro-y permed hair. (laughs) Um, but my mom grew up in a really small town, uh, on a farm in the state of Washington, and they really didn't have too many opportunities for girls because there weren't that many girls that went to the school. So you didn't have that many players to choose from or Mm. to form a team. So my mom did a little bit of tennis and cheerleading, baton twirling, um, but she never played an actual sport, uh, so to say. But she always claims that our athletic ability came from her. So who knows? It could have. It could (laughs) have. And what about your height? Are you also tall? Um, My mom, I think she's kind of shrinking as time goes by. But she probably was about 5'10 in her prime. And my dad in his prime was 6'6". So he was fairly tall. And my brothers, I'm about 6 foot. And my brothers are both around 6'5", maybe. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, we're fairly tall, but nothing, I wouldn't say anything crazy, but... Well, well if I you mean, see the five of you together, it's quite <laughs> big, right? Yes, we, we grab people's attention for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so when did you start to take basketball more seriously? Or um, think of a future in it? Yeah, I, I think I really started to take it more seriously when I was going into my... I think it was my sophomore year of high school... Because that's when I started playing summer at AU. And um, before that, my summers were full of summer fast pitch. And so um, I only played basketball during the winter season. And finally, these people convinced me to stop playing fast pitch and come on over and play summer basketball. And so I started playing summer basketball and absolutely loved it. And during that time was kind of like in the United States where you get recruited or you get seen by college coaches because you go to all these different tournaments. We were going to North Carolina, Oregon, Chicago, Florida, and at all these different tournaments, college coaches could come and they would sit on the sidelines in their little designated area with their sweatshirt on that would say Tennessee or Duke or Minnesota. And um, they would watch you play and they would take notes on who they were playing or who they were watching. And when I saw Pat Summit one time, who was the coach of Tennessee, watching our games, it occurred to me that, Leslie, mm-hmm. like you could actually get a scholarship and play college basketball for free. 
And uh, so it wasn't until I was about 16 that I really understood that basketball could be the way for me to, you know, get a free college education. I think it's really amazing that system in the USA. So much, so much free education, like, for sports. Well, so much free education, yes, but the percent of athletes that actually receive a Division One scholarship is pretty low compared mm. to the number of students that go to a university. Okay. Um, because at the University of Minnesota, I think there's got to be around 50,000 uh, undergraduates or maybe including graduates. And on the basketball team, how many people are on the basketball team? Like 15 or less. Yeah. So getting a Division One scholarship isn't necessarily easy, hmm. but if you are able to get one, <laughs> I mean, getting that college paid for is, I I'm very thankful for that. I think so too. Yeah, and but here in here in Europe, college isn't nearly as expensive. Yeah, that's true. That's why I also think it's so so great that you get the the opportunity in USA. It's true in Spain, you can you you get really good public education, but more and more Spanish basketball players they're also looking to go to usa with these scholarships mm -hmm. and i also think that's a great opportunity yeah yeah Sp especially for spanish and to get your english also and get an american education and come back and have that on your cv i think all of that thanks to basketball that's really great as well mm -hmm. and when anna says cv she's referring to your resume which in the united states we always say resume and here they say cv which stands for curriculum vitae Vitae, is that yeah. Latin? Yeah, something like that. Okay. That's true. Resume. <laughs> so what was your high school experience like balancing sports with academics? Um, yes, because this podcast is called Another Season of Books, we will be talking about academics. <sighs> um, balancing academics and athletics in high school wasn't too difficult, but looking back on it, we had games every Friday night, so... After Friday night games, we would usually hang out as a team and we would go over to someone's house and have pizza, um, maybe go TP the boys team um, or go out to a restaurant. Do you understand when I say TP the boys team? No. No? I was going to ask you, you sound like Spain, right? <laughs> well, of course, here in Madrid, the majority of people live in apartment buildings, but in the United States, um, where I grew up, a lot of people live in houses with yards and trees. So what you do is you get in your car late at night with a bunch of toilet paper and you go to the house when everybody is sleeping and all the girls, we get out of the car, we're all silent, we grab our rolls of toilet paper and we just chuck them up into the trees. And so then the trees are like literally covered in yeah. rolls of toilet paper. And um, once you're finished, you hustle, get back into the car, you take off and you go to the next boy's house. <laughs> and you just hope that the police don't stop you or, you know, or oh the lights don't go on in the house yeah. or the dog doesn't start barking. And so we would do that um, occasionally. And during the winter, it's cold. Um, so it was, I mean, you had to be quick because your hands were like freezing and you were walking in the snow in the yard. Um, so we would do that to the boys' houses, and then a couple weeks later, they would, you know, inevitably get us back, and so yeah. the the worst thing is picking it up at the end, you know, in mm. the morning, like, you have to go try to pick that up, but, um, anyway, so we would do that, so that was kind of my social event, and then Saturday and Sunday, I really usually spent a lot of time at home doing homework, um, didn't really 
go out, you know, mm. to discos or clubs yeah. or anything. I think here in Madrid, maybe younger kids do that. Yeah. I when they're 16, yeah. 17. I mean, I suppose it also depends where you're living. If you're in a village or if you're in a bigger city. But I know that in, in Spain, in Madrid, uh, it's the capital. We were always going out at the weekend. Really. Right. Yeah. But you also had access to the metro. Yeah, that's was... true. The public transport is really good. Right. And for us, if you're 16, you do have a car, but the distances are further away. And I don't know, with my parents, I usually had a curfew around, well, midnight. Or if they knew I was with the basketball girls, they usually would let me stay out later, which that always, I think, drove my older brothers a little crazy because Mm -hmm. I think they were, my parents were definitely more strict probably with my older brothers than they were with me. I think being the third child, they kind of just let me go. But um, anyway, so I, I spent a lot of time studying... Um, I probably didn't have that big of a social life. It was just sports. Mm. Like that was my social life. And then when I wasn't playing sports or I wasn't with the team, I was studying. Um, so it wasn't, for me, it wasn't too hard to balance the two because that's just what I knew and what I was used to. And, Mm. you know, well, you've been successful. So, well, (laughs) Uh, what was your college uh, recruiting process like 20 years ago? Um, I know that's crazy when you say 20 years, like that seems like such a long time, but yes, I graduated from high school in 2004. So my college recruiting process started several years before that. So yeah, it's been 20 years. Um, so I'm assuming it's changed a lot since then, but, um, I had a lot of college coaches sending me mail. So we had mail coming in the house every day and my mom would take it. Sometimes we would read read it, sometimes not, because they were really generic hmm. uh, letters sometimes, yeah. and they weren't like handwritten. They were all on the computer, so you know that those college coaches are literally just changing the name hmm. at the top and then printing it out and sending it to a bunch of different athletes. Um, and sometimes they would forget to change the name. I was just going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sometimes you received a letter and it wasn't even addressed to you. And it was like, okay, this school is probably going to be a no. They don't even know yeah. who they're writing to. Um, but my mom, I think she organized all those letters and put them in a box. And um, and then at some point, I don't remember exactly what the rules were, but there was some point during your like junior year or the summer where they could finally start calling you and not just sending you mail. So then you had to start having conversations with these college coaches um, but back in, back then I didn't have a cell phone, hmm. you know, so they weren't calling my cell phone. They had to call the house phone and I really didn't talk to that many. I didn't spend, I don't think I spent time talking to that many coaches because I had to study and then I would go to school during the day. So it's, it's all a little bit blurry, but I do remember making a list and, um, for European families that don't know this, you are allowed five official visits but you have to be offered the official visit because an official visit to a school, they pay for everything. Like they pay for your flight out there, Mm -hmm. your food, your stay, and you're basically there for a weekend. So in the beginning, I thought I was going to take all five visits, but in the end, I ended up going out to Colorado in Boulder and then the university of Minnesota. And then I was going to go to Iowa state. But after going on two official visits, like, I don't know if they were back to back weekends, but I was kind of exhausted Mm -hmm. of the visits. And I was like, I know I want to go to Minnesota. I don't want to waste anybody else's time. And so I had to call Iowa State and cancel, which was not easy to do because the coach was not happy with me. Mm. Um, 
he was very disappointed that it didn't go. And actually, they were just in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they made it, I think, to the Sweet 16 or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of an overwhelming process, to be honest. Yeah. But you you, know, you always uh, had decided you wanted to stay in Minnesota, right? No, I, I didn't necessarily want or, like, need to stay in Minnesota. I was really interested in Colorado because Colorado has always been a state that uh, grabbed my attention because they're so beautiful. You know, it's got the mountains, uh, snow, but it's not really cold like Minnesota. And they had a good uh, reputation for basketball. And so I was interested in going there. But when I went to the University of Minnesota on my visit, I just, I think I fell in love with it more than I expected. And I think a lot of people think, oh, Minneapolis, the University of Minnesota, it's a big city. But no, there's a lot of green areas. Like you walk on campus and you feel like you're on a college campus. You're not just in the middle of a city. Hmm. and my senior year of high school, the Golden Gophers went to the Final Four, and so that was really cool for me to think that I'd be going to, to play for a team that was just in the Final Four. Hmm. Um, so it was a really big deal, and they had a lot of different majors, um, and I just felt I felt really good about going going to the University of Minnesota, but it, it didn't necessarily have anything to do with being close to home. Um, and when I was there, I really didn't go home hardly at all because I lived on campus all four years. Hmm. I didn't have a car, so I wasn't able to drive home. And my parents would come and see my games, but I wasn't going home on the weekends or anything like that. Wow. So so you really enjoyed your time there? And, and what was the, the adaptation process like? Um, the adaptation process from high school to college was uh, a bit of a slap in the face because... My senior year of high school, I was voted um, what they call Miss Minnesota Basketball. So mm. it's like, supposedly, you're the best min- the best player in the state of Minnesota, you're graduating class. Um, but when I went to the University of Minnesota, there were like six girls on the team that were taller than me and like weighed more than me. And then there were six girls that were smaller than I was that had been playing guard their whole lives. And so I was what's called a tweener, which is like in between, you know, in between the post and the guard. And the coaches didn't really know what to do with me because I had a really hard time uh, getting rebounds or posting up because I was just, I was too small compared to the other girls. And then to play the wing or the guard, I had never played the guard. Mm -hmm. And how was I supposed to compete against these division one athletes who shot the three and they were fast and their ball handling was better than mine. So, um... It was really difficult, and for two years, my freshman and sophomore year, I basically just rode the bench. Hmm. Like, I think I played a total of 36 minutes in two years. Oh my god. And I, whenever I have this conversation, like, whenever I give talks to groups of children at schools or basketball camps, I always ask them, like, how many minutes are in a basketball game? How many minutes? I know that's... 40 minutes? 40 minutes. Correct. <laughs> I just got to get times. So 40 minutes. And how many games do you think you play in one year? And I can... Four, Maybe 30 or 40? 40. 40, yeah. Okay, so you say 40. All right. So 40 by 40, hmm. how many total minutes is that in one season? 160. 1,600. 1,600. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1,600 in just one season. Hmm. So if you combine two seasons, how many minutes is that? 3,200. 3,200. Yeah. And how many minutes did I play in two seasons? Like 36. (laughs) Yeah. 
So, I mean, literally, I was Miss Minnesota Basketball my senior year of high school. All my friends, all my family, Mm. they were so excited to come watch me play at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Leslie would sit on the bench and not even go in sometimes. And that was really hard because after the game, I had all these people wanting to say hi to me. And of course... They would say hi, but then they would also be like, how are you? Is everything okay? Yeah. And when people start asking you those questions, the tears just start coming. I know, I and know. it's like you can't. So that was really hard. Um, and because you're waking up early in the morning, you're lifting weights, you're running. I remember in practice, we practiced against these scout guys, a team of guys that would come practice against us. And there were a couple days where they would hit us with those, uh, like, pads, you know? And there was one specific day where I got hit, and I just, like, he just leveled me to the ground. (laughs) And I couldn't help it, but I started crying in the middle of practice because I was just so frustrated with myself. And, um, you know, you don't want to cry in practice. I I know. Have you ever cried in practice? Yeah, I'm sure I have. And something like you're talking about, like, when you're really frustrated about something or... It's something that just sets you off, like the last thing, like the last... The straw that breaks the camel's back, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's true. So basketball was really difficult. Um, School was... School went pretty well. Uh, The adaptation process was... I mean, I studied a lot. I wouldn't say I had a huge social life. Um, I mean, I did go out and I I met a lot of people in my dorm, but I wasn't a big partier. Hmm. Uh, because usually we had early morning practice, so it just yeah. wasn't... Practice was hard enough as it as it was that mm. I was not even thinking about, like, drinking right. alcohol or being, you know, hungover or something like that. The hardest part was maybe just getting used to the early morning workouts and then going directly to class afterwards and mm. staying awake. Um, <laughs> and then just the early morning conditioning workouts, the running and the weightlifting was really intense. And when we had... Um, what they would they would do testing in preseason and we had these running tests and the whole week I was just butterflies in the stomach not wanting to go <laughs> we all hated it we absolutely hated it but at the end of the day it it probably made us uh, mentally mentally strong you know but it was a it was definitely a step up from high school you know yeah it sounds tough but did you get along well with your teammates? At least was that something positive to keep you going at least? Yeah, I got along all right with the team. But, um, well, two years into it, like five, six girls graduated and five girls transferred. And three of the girls that transferred were all in my freshman class. So when they all left, I was the only one left in my, like, in my class. So, I mean, I don't know. I I was getting to know new people and thankfully I had, basketball was so stressful at the time that I was really happy that I had friends in the dorm and mm-hmm. my, my roommate wasn't an athlete. And so I had kind of an escape and I had other friends outside of sports, which I think was really good for me because mm-hmm. uh, basketball was just... It was really tough, and everybody else was playing more than I was. Yeah. So, you know, it was just, yeah. it was, yeah. And I was the only one from Minnesota. Like, the other girls for, were from other places. And hmm. so, yeah, it was, it was just, it was tough. But um, those five girls transferred, another six graduated, 
so after my sophomore year, uh, my junior year, I was started every game. Oh, great. So I, I probably played more minutes in my first two games as a junior yeah. than I did my first two years combined. I know. Like, was it the same coach all, same all those coach, years? Same coach. Wow. Yeah. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. And, um, and, and then I started every game my junior year, every game my senior year, and I had a really great... Uh, a great senior year. But going back to just talking about another season in the books, um, I don't know how many other players have done this in the history of Minnesota basketball. I'd actually like to ask and find out. But after my sophomore year, I decided to study abroad in Venezuela. And it's not very common that athletes do that because it's like, oh, you have to give 100% and be there for the team and be there at Mm -hmm. summer school and you can't miss anything. And after two years of not playing hardly at all, I was like, you know what? There is more to life than basketball. And I love culture and travel and learning Spanish. And I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to go six weeks and study in Venezuela. And I did that. It was like a May session, like the first summer session. And I had the the time of my life and absolutely loved it. And came back um, and had to get back into the swing of things. But I'm so glad that I did it. And, um, you know, I just encourage athletes to kind of think outside of the box and do other things besides focus 100% on only basketball or only soccer, only fast pitch, because there's just so much more. I agree. So was that your first contact with Spanish? Did you know that you wanted to come to Spain? (laughs) Well, I was really happy that I went to Venezuela because the other option was Toledo, Spain. Really? Yeah. They, wow. The University of Minnesota had a uh, program, and it was like you could either go to Venezuela or you could go to Spain. <laughs> and thank goodness I went to Venezuela because who would have thought that I'd be spending the 13 years and living in Spain? So, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I started I started Spanish classes in elementary school, so yeah, you know, I had spoken some Spanish, but when you actually go to a country, it's completely different. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. So can you share some funny or memorable or embarrassing stories of your college experience? Um, funny, memorable, or embarrassing stories about my college experience. I, the first thing that comes to mind is for a lot of people that don't know me, I, um, I got hit with a baseball when I was in third grade and lost my two front teeth. My older brother, Trevor, we were, went to go play baseball down the street from my house and he hit a really high pop fly and I thought I could c- catch it and I didn't catch it. My mouth caught it. And <gasps> so I lost my two front teeth. You didn't know that? No. You didn't? No, but now I, 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 know I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. You can see the, so, um, <laughs> I had a lot of surgeries throughout high school. I had braces for like six years. Um, and when I got to college, Every summer, we would go to what's called the Minnesota State Fair. And it's this huge fair. Thousands and thousands of people come from Minnesota and probably from other states. And it lasts for like a couple weeks. And as a basketball team, we were always invited to go together. And we would go. We would be on television. We would be on the radio. Blah, blah, blah. Well, at the fair, they have all these different types of foods that you try. And one food that my teammates wanted to try was a deep fried Snickers bar. So we bought the deep fried Snickers bar. People were taking their bites. 
and I took my bite and I bit, uh, and I don't know if I hit like a peanut or I hit like the middle. Anyway, all I felt was one of my false teeth just cracked and like broke off. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And I was trying to find the tooth in my mouth that was like mixed in with this peanut Snickers bar. And my teammates kept walking and I just like stood still and they're looking back at me. They're like, Leslie, what's going on? And my roommate, she knew immediately. She was like, oh my gosh, Leslie, just her tooth just came off. So I was at the fair for like five more hours and I only had one Front, one of my two front teeth. My other tooth was completely missing. And, luckily, and you lost it? I think I, I found it. I mean, I was in my mouth, but we couldn't connect it anymore. Oh, my God. And uh, we had a radio show right after that. And I remember the radio host, he he was a friend of ours, and he, like, got up all in my grill and looked at my mouth. And we took pictures, and I remember smiling with my mouth shut. And luckily, you know, the dentist got me in the next day and I got it fixed. But that, that experience at the fair was, uh, was something else. (laughs) Um, but I don't know if there's anything else like embarrassing. Um, and probably one of my most like proud moments was my senior year of college. They had this award ceremonies that was called the golden goldies, kind of like the, the Oscars or the gold, like golden globes, the golden globes type thing. And my senior year, I had no idea, but I was given the award of Breakout Athlete of the Year mm-hmm. out of all of the athletes, um, which I don't know how many athletes go to the University of Minnesota, but there's a lot of us because it's yeah. men's football, you know, women's and men's basketball, baseball, fast pitch, swimming, gymnastics, wrestling, a lot of things. And I was given the Breakout Athlete of the, War- athlete of the Year Award. And considering how my first two years went... Um, yeah. Being given that award my senior year was was pretty special. So, yeah, an embarrassing story and a and a I don't know joyful yeah. uh, experience for you. <laughs> uh, so, what about senior year? Um, what led you to think about playing overseas, changing a bit the scenery? Um, I never thought about playing overseas ever. I mean, after not playing for two years and then. Um, but one of my assistant coaches, she asked me about it. She was like, Leslie, what do you think about playing overseas? And I looked at her kind of like, what do you mean? Hmm. And she said, oh, well, some players do it. And I have a friend that's an agent and he lives in Belgium and he could probably help you out. So we put together a, a highlight uh, film, sent it to him. And then he sent it out to a bunch of teams around Europe. And I started getting offers. And it was just the craziest experience because I was like, wow, I can continue playing and get paid yeah. to play and travel. Wow. Um, so yeah, but I, I had never thought about it because back in 2008, mm. I just don't think it was as popular as it is now. Mm. Like now so many people do it, but back then. But you had thought of, of like playing professionally, but never. Not even that? No, no, because I, I knew I wasn't good enough to play in the WNBA And I really didn't know about overseas. So I just figured after my senior year, I would start working and, you know. But you didn't have anything like in between? Like there aren't as many leagues like in Spain? That is the downfall to the United States, Anotas, is that you can play on like a team, but it's just completely for fun. You might play like on the weekends, but you don't practice. You don't get paid. 
it's completely just, you know, people work during the work week. Yeah. And then on the weekend, on a Saturday, they might get together for a game. But it's completely amateur. It's just completely for fun. But that's crazy. So many people, (laughs) like, there's so many people in between the WNBA and... no. But yeah, that's something that the United States is like, once you graduate from college, you're 21, 22 years old, your athletic career basically comes to an end unless you make the WNBA or the NBA. In any sport. In any sport. Um, I mean, you can... You can continue playing basketball or softball or soccer or be a triathlete or something like that, but not professionally or not practicing three times a week, not traveling. I mean, it just doesn't exist. Wow. I know. But why didn't you set up this league? Do you think? (laughs) Set up this league in the United States? Or like, I don't know. I don't know. Don't you know any of your like college teammates who've, who've thought the same thing? I don't know. It's just so, so, so crazy. Yeah. So many sports. I don't know. I know. The number of uh, women and men in Spain that are still super active and playing has got to be just... The percentage has got to be so high compared to the United States. Because, hmm. I mean, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 30. 30? And you're still playing. And you practice yeah. how many times a week? Three times a week. Three times a week. And you work full time. Yeah. And then you have games on the weekends. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that just, it's it just doesn't exist in the United <laughs> States. Like. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, granted, and you don't even, I don't know how much you get paid, but. No, no, I don't get paid. You don't get paid. Yeah. No, no. But that's fine. Yeah. But you still just, in, you love being a part of a team. And yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. It's a way to exercise. Exactly. And, yeah. Even though it's amateur and I, I don't get paid, you have, as, as I was saying, like three days a week and then the, the, the match every weekend. So Yeah. Which, well, I was going to say, we should introduce you because we haven't even introduced you on the podcast yet, <laughs> but okay. maybe that's coming up. But Anna, her English is fabulous. You might be able to tell that her accent is a little different than mine. <laughs> so Anna, uh, where does your accent come from? My accent comes from my mom. She's English and she's lived in Spain for more than half her life. And I've, I was born in Madrid, but uh, we've always spoken in English. So that's why Leslie and I started uh, our relationship too, because of English. Uh-huh. Not so much, well, yeah, p- for, because of basketball, but then thanks to the, to the, to the language. Yeah, because I went, uh, I, I got my first professional job in Switzerland um, which was fabulous, and I absolutely loved it. I was in a town called Chiasso, which is right on the border of Italy, near uh, Lake Como, and there we spoke Italian. Uh, but after that first year in Switzerland, my agent found me a team in Madrid, which happened to be in Alcobendas, and that is basically your home... My hometown. Your hometown my and your home, home club. club. Exactly. Yeah. How many years did you play for Alcobendas? Uh, I've... I would say like uh, 17 years, like all my, my, my childhood years. And I, and then since I was 18 until I was like 25. So yeah, that's uh, how I met amazing people like Leslie. (laughs) Yes. And this, we do have to say that this is round two of this interview because the first interview took place, I don't know, a couple months ago already now. Maybe. Yeah. Month and a half, yeah, maybe? January. And 
we were in a bar and it was super loud. When I went to edit the interview, it was just the background noise was too much. So this is actually take two. Um, <laughs> and the first time we were with another teammate of ours that played with us in Alcobendas. But um, Anna was just a young little a little whippersnapper when I met her. And I think she had just turned 18. Yeah, exactly. And in Spain, how mm-hmm. old do you have to be to drive? You have to be 18, exactly. Uh-huh. So Anna had just gotten her license, and her family lived down the street from where I lived with some of the other teammates. And so after practice, um, frequently, mm-hmm. Anna, the little 18-year-old, would drive myself. I was what? What did we decide? 23, maybe, at the time? Exactly. Yeah. I think. Five years difference. Yeah. And so she would drive myself and my teammate, Sarah Crooks, who's from Canada, uh, she would drive us home, and it was so nice because she could speak to us in English the whole car ride. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't on the team, so Leslie was like uh, in second division, mm. and I was in third division. So I was like training with second division sometimes a few days a week or whatever. But like, I didn't feel like uh, as amazing or as good or as, as like American as <laughs> and Leslie. So my mission was to to take you home and for me it was also like wow i'm like driving these two american players home and i would get home and my mom was like so proud and like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah but it was great it was great it was so nice like to to get to know you off the court as well because it was different on the court obviously yeah and it's just crazy like our relationship has maintained uh mm-hmm. Ever since. And now we're in, what, 2022? And that first season was 2009, 2010. Yeah, exactly. So it's been a good 13 years. And you're still my friend. Yeah. And and you're here interviewing me. (laughs) So, Leslie, can you summarize uh, what your first four years in Spain were like? Um, Summarize. I'm... I need to be shorter with my words, Anotas, because I speak too much. But, um... My first four years in Spain, I played for a Division II team called Alcobendas. And looking back at those years, I am so thankful and grateful for the opportunity that I had because um, that's where I really started to learn Spanish. Uh, Because in the second division, there weren't as many English-speaking players. In first division, a lot of people speak English. But in second division, Mm -hmm. there are less foreigners. And so I was living with girls from... You know, um, Vigo, León, Granada, Valencia, Mm. Las Canarias. And I was forced to really speak Spanish because they either were too embarrassed to speak English or they just didn't really have much of an English background. So uh, that's where I really began to speak Spanish. And I'm forever grateful for that because I have some teammates now that They don't really speak much Spanish because they're around so many English-speaking teammates. Um, I don't know. Uh, Besides basketball, I was teaching English to little kids, um, conversation classes with adults. I, you know, back to another season in the books, I got my master's um, in organizational leadership and did it online through a university in Vermont. And um, minor detail... Uh, I met my current husband my first year in Spain. I was just thinking about him. <laughs> when was he coming up? <laughs> yeah, what do you want to know, Anotas? What do you want to know? <laughs> no, but do you know what I thought? That thanks to your Spanish, you could also meet Juanma. Yeah, 
my Spanish was very basic when I met Juanma because we met in January of 2010. So I literally arrived to Spain in what, maybe September of 2009, September, October, November, December. I had been there for about four months. Hmm. And then I met Juanma in January. And I don't even know what we talked about because my Spanish was so basic. <laughs> I, I feel like we talked about like, oh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Yeah. Or how did you sleep last night? But we, our conversations were anything but profound. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't. And when we spoke on the phone, I think a lot of the times, half the conversation was me saying, okay, okay, like what, what? Because I could not understand on the phone because yeah. in person, it's a little easier. You can read their yeah. lips. They have, you know, hand gestures, but on the phone, Oh my goodness, it's so difficult. I know. And so, yeah, we met in 2010, and here we are, <laughs> 12 years later. Wow. Married. Exactly. Yeah, crazy. How great. Well, I'm glad that, that you met Juana because that also keeps you here in Spain with us. <laughs> That's definitely, definitely one of the reasons why I stayed in Spain for so long, because improving my Spanish was really fun, but the fact that I had somebody yeah you know otherwise who knows where i would have gone i don't know who knows other countries well but spain has brought you great things and for example then you jumped up to liga femenina Mm -hmm. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that um yeah i remember i was at graduation for my master's in vermont and all of a sudden i got a text message from my agent saying that i had an offer from zaragoza to play in the first division and i was so excited because Everyone was. Everyone thought that Leslie couldn't play in the first division because she wasn't big enough to play the post. Mm-hmm. Because in the first division, the players are bigger, taller. And um, but Zaragoza decided to give me a chance, so I uh, jumped up to the first division, which was like a dream come true, and played one year there, which was very memorable. I continued teaching English in a in an academy to little kids. I had finished my master's, so I was done with that. And um, I lived with two girls from Argentina, uh, Gisela Vega and Melissa Greter, who is actually my current teammate. So, mm. you know, that season was what, 2013, 2014, maybe? And yeah, 2013, 2014. And now, eight years later, I'm still, I'm back to being Melissa's teammate. So that's pretty cool. Mm. But um, yeah. It was, it was a good year. It was a good experience. It was, uh, they tried to put me at the three, but I ended up playing the three, four. Well, we maintained the category and that was kind of the, the main goal. And how did you feel about the, the f- not being big enough or stuff like that? Did you feel confident? Uh, no, it was a definite, it was another adaptation process because when I was at the three, I, I wasn't a good defender at mm. the three and I didn't shoot the three. So they would just try to get me to post up, but then everybody would help a lot. And so it was, it was a little difficult, but, um, I think it was a, it was a good learning experience. Well, but since then, uh, you played, uh, in Logroño, right? Mm -hmm. That was first division. Yep. I went to Logroño for four years and I was, um, I was playing basketball and then still teaching. I remember my first year I was going to like four different schools and just being an assistant uh, English teacher, um, getting driven around by one of the uh, physical education teachers. He would pick me up in the morning and we would go to all these different schools. 
And then I um, was doing English classes, like conversation classes with some adults, and then playing. Um, and then while I was in Zaragoza, I also did uh, one year I got a personal trainer certificate. Uh, so I studied for that, uh, came back to the United States, took the test, passed, thankfully. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just always trying to combine basketball with doing something else because... Mm. I don't know how you feel about it, but I just think it's really important to have another interest or something, just something outside of basketball. I agree. I agree totally. And and for you to say it, and you've been in first division, and you could, you could, just dedicate yourself to that. But I think it's so important just for your future, for 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 your mental health as well, and just like to meet different people, to change a bit of, I don't know. I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. I agree so much. Yeah, I because basketball, you'll have days when it's not going well, or exactly. days or weeks or months, yeah. and to have something else to kind of distract you and focus on, hmm. um, I just think is really important. And like you said, I mean, at some point, basketball is going to come to an end, and you're going to have to do something else, and um, at least you'll have something to write in your resume of what you've been up to, or what you've been hmm. studying, or what you've been doing. So um, yeah, I always try to do a little something almost yeah. every year. But you know, that's why also I think... Uh, you speak Spanish so well because you're just like someone who wants to learn and wants to do stuff and you you don't like just um um conformarse yeah conformarse <laughs> you d- you don't just uh you're not content with like what you have yeah or um no me sale well <laughs> <laughs> you don't Bueno, that <laughs> you're always searching to to learn and to to do stuff and and be better. Well, I think that's important to try to learn the language um, wherever you go because people really appreciate it, and it just allows you to get a little closer to the people mm. that are in your life. And for me, having those relationships is is really important yeah. for me, and it contributes to my everyday life. Mm. Um, You've always had good relationships at your clubs in Spain, haven't you? And like, good, I don't know, like, uh, friends, and you've you've kept friendships as well, right? Yeah, for the most part, I think, um, I don't know what it is, Anotas, just coming over with an open mind and mm. a positive attitude and the willingness to learn, and... Yeah. Um, I mean, Spanish is, what is it? English, Spanish, and Chinese are the three most mm-hmm. spoken languages in the world. So yeah. if you can have the opportunity to come here and immerse yourself, take advantage of it and mm-hmm. learn some Spanish, you know, yeah, it's true. It could definitely help you in the future. You just never know. I mean, I never thought when I was in high school, I never thought that I'd actually use Spanish in my everyday life. And mm-hmm. here I am using it every single day for everything. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's amazing. So then what happened after uh, your years in Logroño, Zaragoza? Um, yeah, after four years in Logroño, I decided to come back to go back to Zaragoza. I uh, was there for a year. And then I, oh, I got my driver's license, my Spanish driver's license while I was in Zaragoza, which was pretty uh, exciting <laughs> because they don't validate your American license. So mm-hmm. I had to go through the whole process again. And when I was in Logroño, we didn't mention this, but that's when Juanma and I officially got married. It was 2017. And we just got married through, like, the um, city hall. Yeah. And uh, 
so that was quite the process, but we did it. And so then, uh, yeah, I decided to get my license because I was like, well, I'm going to be living here for a while. I, mm. I better be legal. <laughs> uh, so I got my license in Zaragoza. And then after that, I finally came back to Madrid. And I had been out of Madrid for six years. Um, mm. And Juanma had been driving back and forth to see me for six years. Yeah. And coming back to Madrid was just so nice. And now that we were married and we actually mm. could live together... Um, and that first year back, I was in second division. It was back to Liga Femenina dos. Um, and I decided to take, a English, uh, a course on how to teach English better. Mm-hmm. And so I did that my first year when I came back thinking I would, you know, actually teach English at some point. I haven't done it yet, <laughs> but I have the coursework. Um, but did you do it, uh, for kids or adults or both? Uh, it was, I think, pretty much for any type of level, uh, mm-hmm. adults or kids. But um, And what do you prefer? Well, I do enjoy adults because I feel like you can have some deeper conversations yeah. and you can talk about a multitude of different things. But kids are fun because you can be really silly and mm. uh, sing songs mm-hmm. and um, it, either or. But yeah. probably, probably in the long run, I would prefer adults. So what about like coaching? Because you're uh, learning how to teach English, but you've also got like the basketball, maybe, you know, like uh, summer camp, basketball, English. I think you've done that before. Or yeah. Have you thought of that? I've done a couple uh, camps and worked with the kids in English, but it wasn't necessarily my camp. Yeah. Um, we, I kind of did my own camp last summer. That was fun. But um, yeah, who knows what's in the future. Maybe I could do some basketball courses in English Mm -hmm. um, so that coaches in Spain can kind of learn some of the vocabulary. And I mean, every every year coaches are improving their English and it's getting better and better. But um, it's always nice to to listen to Mm -hmm. a native speaker. It's true. And and like the basketball term terms are so different in Spanish and English. I mean, there there definitely are similar words uh, like pick and roll. But uh, a lot of words are also different. And especially in the first division, coaches speaking English is key because not only for the Americans, but for players that come from Belgium Mm. or Serbia or Greece, the common language is English. Yeah, exactly. So how did you get, uh, how were your years in in Estudiantes? And how did you get the offer? Um... My years in Estudiantes have been really great. That first year was 2020, 2019-2020 maybe. And we had like almost a perfect season. We had won 20 games in a row and playing in the second division was just so great because it was less stressful, it was mm. easier. <laughs> um, and we were the number one team. And then in March of 2020, the pandemic hit and the season came to an end. And I was kind of bummed out because I had never played in a... Uh, a playoff to go up to the first division and I was really looking forward to doing that but it didn't happen Um, but then we automatically went up anyway and so then 2020-2021 they asked me to play again and in my gut I was like oh no (laughs) back to the first division like it's so much harder and taxing on your body Mm -hmm. the demands are higher and I had been in Logroño and Zaragoza where 
we had some really rough years where we were in Logroño one year, we went down to the second division because we mm. finished in the, t- the two bottom teams. And those losing seasons are so stressful and they're so, oh, it's just hard to go to work yeah, every day after exactly. losing. Hmm. So I was really kind of nervous about going back to the first division. I didn't know if I mentally and physically really wanted to, hmm. but I thought, you know what? Let's just do this. <laughs> if we're able to maintain the division, I can, I'll can. i be able to say that I was part of the Estudiantes team that like yeah. brought it back to the first division. Because there were no first division teams in Madrid. I know. Which I think is just ludicrous. I know it is. It is. And it's also, it's, it's got something to do with like a budget. Because we had like a few teams and suddenly there was the crisis and they couldn't pay for players or they couldn't pay for the teams or the or all the costs and and uh, but i mean madrid's the capital city yeah but then you have small towns like Bembibre or la seu and they love they love them some female basketball and they support and they have good teams so maybe in a big city it's just difficult because there are so many options that's true and so many teams Mm. But um, anyway, I decided to play the 2020-21 season, and as luck would have it, it was like my best year as a professional. Like, (laughs) hands down, I was 34, 35, 34 years old, and it was my very best year (laughs) ever. (laughs) Wow. Like, I don't know what happened. No, but but were you feeling, like, amazing? Was the team great? Did you get out? I mean, it must have been, like... Many things. Yeah, the team got along really well. Uh, we didn't. We knew some of us knew each other, but a lot of people were new. And I don't know. We just had this fighters, gritty mentality where we just worked really hard in practice and in the games. And all of a sudden, we just started winning. And it was like this team that recently came up to the first division is all of a sudden a team to be reckoned with. And we ended up making the Queen's Cup, which that was the first time in my career that one of my teams had made the Queen's Cup, which is the first eight teams from the first round. Um, and we even ended up making Euro Cup, which means we finished, I think we finished sixth in the league. And the top six teams automatically go to Euro Cup or Euro League. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was just pretty crazy. It was a, a complete dream season, basically. Yeah, but it was a dream season during a pandemic, right? Yeah, so that's what was true. that like? Lots of PCR tests up the nose. Um, unfortunately, I tested positive for COVID. I remember it was like <gasps> Valentine's Day. It was it was February, and I tested positive, and I was out for a whole month. It was like thirty one days, and I ended up mm. I ended up missing the Queen's Cup because. I hadn't tested negative yet. So for the first time in my life that I made the Queen's Cup and I was having the best season of my life, I didn't actually get to participate because I was home oh, testing positive with no, COVID. That, that, that is a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing you're missing for, for uh, to have a great season. Yeah. I remember that because uh, we couldn't find you on TV or something like that. Oh. My mom and I. <laughs> and we thought it must be COVID. Yeah, because the bad thing about the well, the bad thing. I mean, in sports, uh, you weren't allowed to go back until you tested negative. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just a citizen and you're like ten days quarantine and then you're back to life, 
but that like 31 days i mean oh my god were you having tests like every day i think they were testing me like once a week and every week i would go to the hospital with the hopes of today's the day today's the day and then every every afternoon our team doctor would call me and he would say leslie i'm really sorry but you're still testing positive (laughs) but were Um, you keeping yourself fit Like, doing sports? Yeah, I I mean, I felt kind of crappy for, like, a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And then after that, I was able to, we had, like, and Juanma, he tested positive as well. So we were at home together the whole time. And we had some dumbbells in the house and a kettlebell. You can do a lot of stuff with your own body weight. So we were doing that. And when I came back, uh, I actually was able to play and continue the season and actually mm-hmm. came back pretty strong. So, um, but anyway, uh, besides playing basketball, I also started that year, I started a coaching course hmm. because here in Spain, as you know, you have to do like the first course, the second course, and the third course if you want to actually be able to coach, yeah. which we don't have that in the United States. You can just be a coach if you want, mm-hmm. um, and they'll hire you if you have some sort of background. You yeah. don't there, but there is no like curriculum. So I started doing the first course, which which is actually more work than I expected, but um, that's also a good thing because then you know that the people that finish are actually very interested and yeah. you know educated in basketball. Mm. Um, and I I was going to mention too that when I was in Zaragoza for the second time, that's when I started this podcast. So it's already yeah. it's already been like three years almost. Wow! Uh, since this podcast started, which kind of blows my mind. Um, but yeah, the podcast, the basketball course, and then when I came back to Madrid, a friend of mine asked if I wanted to start a radio show, and so I also do a radio show every Wednesday um, from this little radio studio in Leganes. So those those three things are keeping me, keeping me busy besides mm. playing. But um, yeah, that that year was beautiful last year, and I'll never forget it. I know it's so amazing. I'm I'm in such a club like uh, Estudiantes. It's like one of the elite basketball clubs like in Spain. Yeah, really for women's basketball for sure. And it's just it has a lot of uh, history and a lot of resources. And mm. I, I mean I'm I feel very fortunate to you know be kind of finishing my career in such a club considering when I came in 2009 I didn't even know who Estudiantes was but now you know to think that I'm part of Estudiantes is pretty cool Mm -hmm. so what do you say about finishing your career what do I say about finishing my career why is this happening (laughs) why is this happening um Anotas or what's what was this decision or was it not a decision well So for the listeners, this is kind of why we decided to do this podcast, because uh, I've never told my story here on the podcast, and so people might wonder what what my story is. Well, uh, the last couple months have been kind of crazy, mm-hmm. and Anotas, I think you wrote me a message, or I wrote you a message. I wrote you on Instagram, because uh, you'd been sharing everything that had been going on in Estudiantes. Well, okay. I'll let you talk about that. Well, I had been sharing via Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd been, you, well, you told I, me. I had been news. like, I had been reposting stuff. Yes, I called and told you the news. Yeah. Yeah. The news is? <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, Anotas wrote me and she was like, kind of joking about it, but she said, Leslie, 
somebody should interview you. Like you should talk about your uh, journey as you yeah. know an athlete and academics and whatnot. And in the beginning, I was kind of like, ah, ha, ha, no, just that's funny. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, why not? So that's where this idea came from. But basically, at the end of last season, my coach wanted me back and it was like, Leslie, we're playing Euro Cup. This is your opportunity to play Euro Cup and go play in different countries and compete against teams from, you know, France or Belgium or Slovakia, wherever. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, that would be amazing. I've been playing for so long. I finally get the opportunity. However, in the back of my mind, I'm like, time doesn't wait for anybody. And my husband and I would like to try to start a family. And so I just didn't know. I didn't know if I should play another season or not. At the end of the day, I decided to play with the condition that my coach knew that if I got it pregnant during the year, well, that was it you know? And so he agreed to that. And as a female athlete, it's really hard to make that decision because Mm. you just don't ever know if you're going to get pregnant or not. Until you start trying, you have no idea. I know. Like, and it's not just you, but it's your partner too. It's, Mm. it takes two to have a baby. Yeah. So I was a little nervous. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get pregnant or not. So Mm. what do you do? Do you say no to the season and then you don't even get pregnant? Or do you say yes, and then you get pregnant at some point during the year? Or maybe you the whole year goes by, and not even a whole year. It's like eight months, yeah. and you're still not pregnant. And whether do you communicate that to your club or not? Because I had a lot of friends mm. in the United States that work for, in you know, quote-unquote normal jobs. And they were like, Leslie, you don't have to say anything. This is your personal life. This is, you know, you do not have to tell your employer that you're planning on getting pregnant. Yeah. And I was like, well, but basketball is different. Sports are different. But at the same time, they shouldn't necessarily be different. It's a job. Yeah. You know, it's a job just like any other job. And um, a lot of women are afraid to say anything because Mm -hmm. they don't know how they're going to be treated. Yeah. Financially or, you know, benefits or whatever. But at the end of the day, I decided to tell my coach and I did. Well, fast forward, um, I don't know if it was like December 1st or 2nd, we were in Slovakia playing Euro Cup, and I woke up in the morning, and, you know, we're just saying all this on the podcast, because you know what, mm-hmm. That's, it's, it, it is what it is, and this is life, but I woke up in the morning, and my breasts were swollen mm-hmm. and tender, and my period was late by more than a week. And I thought it was stress. You know, I, I thought I wasn't getting my period because I was stressed. However, when I woke up and felt my, my chest like that, I, a red flag went off in my head. And I was like, oh my goodness, could this really mm-hmm. be happening? Yeah. And, um, you know, we played the game. Actually, I didn't play because you can only have two Americans playing in Euro Cup. And um, so I didn't play that game. But we flew back on a, I think it was like, we flew back on the second, maybe. And then on the third, we we took a bus and we went up to Vittoria because we played on the fourth. 
So I didn't have time to talk to Juanma. I didn't have time to take a test. Like, I didn't have time for anything. I just came home, unpacked one bag, packed another bag, and left, basically. So then I came home on the night of the 5th, which was a Sunday. We got home late at night. I crawled into bed at, like, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, Juanma was asleep. Went to bed. Woke up the next day. I have all this going through my mind, like, oh my gosh, I could be pregnant. Oh my gosh, I could be pregnant. And so Juanma and I go for a walk. He had to work the afternoon shift. And as we were on our walk, I kind of looked at him and I said, you know what? Um, Just to let you know, we might want to go to the pharmacy and get a pregnancy test. (laughs) And he just stopped dead in his tracks and looked at me like, you've got to be kidding me. And he was so excited. I mean, his eyes were like shiny with tears and excitement and... I was like, yeah, this could potentially be. But I was like, don't get your hopes up because Mm. it was something we were trying for. But with traveling and with stress and with so many other things, you just never know if it's going to happen. I know. So we went to a pharmacy. We got a test. We Mm. went back home and took the test. And then after Mm. five minutes of it sitting there, we looked at it and it was positive. And it was just like... And like all your basketball life flashing. (laughs) (laughs) Flashing before my eyes, right? Oh, not us, literally. I know, that's so crazy. So when did you tell your team? Um, Well, that day, the 5th, I decided to tell my coach because he knew that we were trying and uh, he was going to have to sign another player or, you know, make adjustments because I was going to have to stop playing Mm -hmm. eventually. And, um... I don't think we told the team, I don't remember the exact date, but we did end up telling the team before I told, like, before it was public news, mm. I told the team. Um, and they were all very happy for me. But, uh, yeah, it was really weird because that was December 5th, and my last game of the season was January 29th. So, you know, about a month and a half went by or so mm-hmm. before I uh, stopped. And I think I was about 14 weeks pregnant uh, when I stopped. So what did it feel like playing, like being pregnant? That seems crazy. Yeah. um, But at the same time, a lot of women have done it. So it's not like I was the first one. And every woman has a different experience. But the first trimester is a little bit rough. Mm. Uh, It's usually when people have morning sickness and they're just not feeling great. And so I was constantly feeling like kind of sick to my stomach throughout the whole throughout the whole day. And, uh, and I was tired and then I was really sore. Like my adductors were Mm. super sore. And so just lifting my legs and like running and going upstairs Mm. was not necessarily fun. (laughs) If I was really warmed up, I felt better. But until I got to that point, there were days at practice where the first 30 minutes I was like, Mm. I am not enjoying this at all. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I was kind of eating, I was eating constantly because when I ate, I felt better. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you asked me before if I liked the little like pickles yeah. and the little, um, what do we call them? The little onions that are... Yeah, I, I don't know what you call them. In... They are pickled. It, yeah. Um, yeah, pickled onions. All that stuff was so good to me. I loved it. Um But it just, yeah, it was hard getting up for practice and getting up for games because I was just so tired. I was laying in bed and I just wanted to stay there. And then once the second trimester comes along, you feel so much better, but you can't play anymore because it's like you're at higher risk for, you know. 
So. So what have you been doing since you stopped playing? Have you been going to practice or are you still involved with the team? Um, I'm still, I'm technically I'm on maternity leave or like I'm on, um, what would we call it? Maternity leave or mm. like when you have an injury and you can't, you know, do your job. Um, but because I have this team mentality, I, I can't not be a part of the team. I mean, mm. it's still my team, you know? Of course. And I've been an athlete for the past, you know, 25 30 years so I go to weights I go to practices nobody obligates me to be there but I go as a choice mm-hmm. and um, I go to all the games not necessarily all the away games because I'm not traveling on the bus anymore but um, all the home games and yeah I go to cheer on my team because yeah I'm still part of it and they're my friends and I enjoy being around them I know. So. it's something that you really miss and I mean uh, you could watch it on TV or whatever but it's not the same Exactly. You just want to feel part of that team, even though you're sitting on the bench and you're... <laughs> I understand. Yeah. So was your last game memorable in any way? Um, okay, this podcast is getting long. So real quick, um, my last game was the 29th against San Sebastian Ideca, and the club had announced it beforehand so that people could come watch me play. I played my last game. Uh, the coach subbed me out with like a couple minutes left and the whole place just stood up and like gave me a standing ovation. Wow. Um, until like I came off the court, I hugged each one of my coaches, I hugged each one of my teammates that was sitting on the bench and the, the game stopped. Like the referees didn't start the game. Everybody was clapping, clapping, clapping. I started crying. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just very emotional. It was like, mm-hmm. wow, I can't believe this is happening. This is my last you know, it could be my last game. And, mm. um, and then after the game, they had this little celebration. They gave me a bouquet of flowers. They gave me a little baby Estudiantes jersey with number 45 and my name, Knight, on the back. That I was not expecting. was really cool. Baby Knight. Baby Knight. Yeah. Yep. And then they actually had a video as well where they had asked family and friends to send me a little message and so all of a sudden they kind of turned off the lights in the gym and we all looked up at like this big screen and my parents appeared on the screen Mm -hmm. like saying hi Leslie you know congratulations we're so proud of you and I just about lost it I couldn't believe that my parents were there and then you know my brother Corey and some friends that my my um my bridesmaids from my wedding they were all three of them were (laughs) on there and it just Spanish friends uh, totally took me off guard Uh, and everybody in the gym like I don't know how many people fit into Magariños but uh, everybody's up there watching my you know Minnesota friends talking to me and uh, (laughs) so then after the after that I I talked to the fans they gave me the microphone and let me say a couple words and I noticed that was just surreal because I just thought I was thinking back to 2009 when I came to Spain Mm. My Spanish was crap. Yeah. <laughs> I could barely speak. I could barely understand anything. I didn't even know who Estudiantes was. Yeah. And then 13 years later, I'm saying goodbye to my basketball career mm. in the like most well-known basketball club in Madrid. I know. With a full crowd speaking in Spanish. Oh my god. And pregnant Pregnant with my first child with a Spanish man. Oh my like god, who? Leslie, you're like <laughs> in a living a movie. I don't it's know. It's like a dream. I don't know. I don't know. No, like who would have ever thought? I I never would have thought. But um, it's crazy. 
amazing. I, it's just like goosebumps. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so great. And I'm really happy to be part of it, really. I'm like proud to be your friend and to be interviewing you. <laughs> well, I'm proud to be your friend and not us. I'm so, I'm so glad that our relationship has continued. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So anyways, that was the memorable last game. And I'm just, I'm also very happy that I was like not injured or anything like that. And, yeah. Um, You've never had like major, major injuries or operations? I had knee surgery once, uh, but that was just to kind of clean up some cartilage. So mm. I've never torn my ACL or my meniscus. I've had ankle surgery um, and knee surgery, but and tore my calf muscles a couple times. Yeah. But nothing like an ACL. So hmm. knock on wood. I'm like, if I get injured getting in and out of the car or something like that, like <laughs> I survive over your baby. <laughs> I survived 13 years as a yeah. professional athlete, 14, including Switzerland, without tearing my ACL. Hopefully it doesn't happen no, no, anytime in the future. No, it won't. But. <laughs> so um, just to wrap up, um, after these 14 years as a professional athlete, How do you think all these years have contributed to your own personal growth? Um, how have all these years contributed to my personal growth? Well, I've thought about this a lot. And I think the, the one main thing that I'm really thankful for as a professional athlete, as an, as an athlete in general, is that I have been able to live with so many different people from so many different countries, from so many different backgrounds, different religions, different skin colors, different sexual preferences, um, just a myriad of different people. And I think about how many people in their day-to-day -day job have the opportunity to really get to know somebody that is very different from they are than they are in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us live in these bubbles where we don't, we're not forced to get to know somebody from the Congo or mm. get to know somebody from Argentina or yeah. get to know somebody from Senegal or from Guinea-Bissau or from Serbia mm. or from Canada or yeah. from Alabama. I mean, I have lived with so many different women and I've gotten to know their families I've gotten to share meals with them. I mean, when you live with someone, you basically, and you, and you work with them. So yeah. you're like having breakfast together, yeah. working together, sharing a locker room, yeah. showering together, riding the bus together, eating dinner mm. together. I mean, everything. And you realize that these people are just like you, mm -hmm. you know, like they, <laughs> the, the things that make you happy are the things that make them happy. And whether they are gay, lesbian, Uh, Muslim, mm -hmm. Christian, Catholic, whatever they are, yeah. um, we are all so much alike and mm -hmm. there are good people all over the world. And yeah. so I just, I'm really thankful that basketball has given me that experience and opportunity to be friends with mm. so many different people and yeah. see them for really who they are. And I just wish that I wish that other people had the same opportunity because I think this world would be a better place. But that's that's probably the one huge thing that I'm going to take away from hmm, all my years definitely. as an athlete. Would you like to bring up your kid in the basketball world? Um, Or give them the opportunity to decide, but then like take them towards basketball? Right. I I mean, I hope that my future little baby girl or baby boy plays a team sport because I think yeah. team sports are very important. 
Um, and, you know, if that team sport takes them away to a different country, well, mm-hmm. so be it, you know? They'll be able to go see the world and meet people, but I just think it's a pretty neat experience, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Totally agree. So, do you have any advice to um, college athletes who are thinking about going overseas? Um, probably everything that I've already said. Just um, going overseas is going to be very different from what you're experiencing in college. Where in college you have, usually, you get free, free shoes, free clothes, free bags. Um, you travel in airplanes or in nice buses. You have a... Uh, an athletic trainer who's like at your beck and call. When you go overseas, you might play for a team that doesn't have the same resources that your college did. And, you know, especially if you're in a Division II team opposed to a Division I team. But even if you play Division I, you might not have the greatest resources. So you need to just go overseas with an open mind and really, like, live the experience. And as we've talked about, Like, get to know your teammates. Try to speak the language. Um, Try to talk with people. Because sometimes it's easy to kind of throw yourself your own pity party and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, nobody's talking to me. Nobody's asking me how I'm doing in the locker room, for example. And it's like, well, step out of your comfort zone and be the first one to make that conversation and ask your teammate, how are you? You know, how was your weekend? Because um, I think that's just really, it's really important. And um, as far as basketball goes, you're going to have ups and downs for sure. You're probably not going to understand the language. Um, there's going to be miscommunication, misunderstandings. But every day is a new day and you just got to shake it off and wake up in the morning and say, you know, give yourself a little grace and mm-hmm. like, all right, well, yesterday was shit, but today is going to be better, you know? Um, and... I don't know, go travel, try the food. Mm. Like this is a, people pay good money to have these uh, Mm. experiences, whether it's in high school or college, to be a foreign exchange student. And now you're getting paid to do it. So take advantage of it, you know? And Mm. um, I think as an athlete, it's really important to just be positive. And if you can't speak the language, uh, communicate via your actions. And if you show that you work hard, if you show that you come and you're in shape, if you show that you're respectful and you look at people when they're talking to you or you at least try to understand, that goes a long ways. And Mm -hmm. you will undoubtedly have probably a positive experience. But if you come over thinking you know everything, that you're the best, that you can't understand how they do things the way they do because in the United States we didn't do them like that, Mm -hmm. well, I'm sorry, but your experience probably isn't going to be very positive. So my, my experience over here is that, yes, they might not do everything exactly like I did back home in college, but that doesn't mean it's wrong or right or, mm-hmm. you know, like th- people do different things all over the world and, and their way works too. So just have an open mm-hmm. mind and uh, be open to trying new things and doing things a little differently. Leslie Knight for president. <laughs> it's true, Anotas. It's true. Yes or no, it's true. No, you're like a great, great role model, I would say. So mm. thank you so much for telling, sharing your story on another season in the books. <laughs> well, know. thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, do you want to go through some rapid questions? Sure. Rapid fire. Let's go. So why did you choose your jersey number? 
Uh, number 45 was given to me when I was uh, in like fifth grade because the biggest numbers were given to the tallest girls because they were the size large. So I have literally been number 45 probably since I was, I don't know, 10 years old or so. <laughs> yeah. Which is your go-to and bread and butter move on the floor? Uh, my go-to move, I don't know if I really have one in particular. You'd have to ask somebody who's watched me play a lot, but maybe in the low post, a spin move to the baseline to finish in a reverse layup or just a turnaround jumper to the baseline. If I'm on the left block, I'll fake middle, turn, and jump and shoot. Your jump shot is quite... I remember that. <laughs> uh, what food do you bring with you when you travel? Um... My first couple of years, I remember bringing peanut butter over with me in my suitcase because peanut butter wasn't like a thing overseas. But now you can buy peanut butter in Mercadona and Dia. And actually now they're coming out with like healthy peanut butters that are yeah. just made of peanuts and they're not have all this added sugar. So now I buy my peanut butter here and you can really get anything on Amazon mm. or you can just look recipes up and make things homemade. So mm. now I really don't bring much over. If I do bring something, it's maybe like a spice mix that... Um, like uh, McCormick spaghetti spice mix or something like that. But now I don't really mac bring... Mac and cheese. <laughs> mac and cheese. Yeah. Three things on your bedside table? Uh, three things on my bedside table. Right now I have... Well, I always have a dresser sitting next to my bed. So it's pretty big space. So mm -hmm. I have way too many things on the top of my yeah. dresser. But right now, I mean, my Kindle... Um, I have... Ah, oh, too many things that I'm not, nothing is coming to my mind. My Kindle, I have a picture frame with some pictures of our wedding. And what else? Usually like a glass of water, hair ties, bobby pins. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a, a handful of different things. Um, Your favorite TV show as a kid? My favorite TV show as a kid, that's kind of a hard one. Um, but I remember on Friday nights, there was this TGIF, thank goodness it's Friday, mm -hmm. theme. And so it was like step-by-step, -step, family matters, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Uh, mm -hmm. I really loved all those, all those shows. But when I was really little, like the cartoons, um, I liked a lot of cartoons. We didn't have cable, so we didn't have the Rugrats, but we did watch Power Rangers and it was like, go, go Power Rangers. And then after watching it, my brothers and I would watch it and then we would go outside in the yard and we would run around the yard and like mm -hmm. jump up and try to run up trees and do different <laughs> kicks and pretend like we were one yeah. of the Power Rangers. <laughs> cool. Did you do that? No, not really. <laughs> but you know, I didn't yeah. even have a garden. I mean, in Spain, we don't have a like huge backyard or anything. Right, but you have a park. But, I mean, yeah, but I wasn't really into like the power. I don't know. I was watching stuff like Punky Brewster. I don't know if Punky if Brewster. Yeah, that sounds familiar, but I don't know if I ever watched it. Yeah, not so much like adventures or fights and stuff like okay. that. Okay. <laughs> um, and what about your favorite board game? My favorite board game, I guess I have a couple of them, so I don't know if I can really choose one, but I really like the board game Sorry, and then there was another game called Candyland, which I just thought was so fun because the board was full of, like, you know, gumdrops and candy canes and different <laughs> things like that, and uh, I really... And then there was Shoots and Ladders. I really like Shoots and Ladders, too. 
Yeah, I know that one. You know that one? But I know this version called Snakes and Ladders. But ah, uh, maybe that's the same thing. I, th- I think Would you like same. go, go down a snake down. and go up the ladder? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shoots and ladders, same thing. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Spanish food or American food? Um, I don't know, Anotas. If I'm we... looking at you like, uh, you better say Spanish food. <laughs> it's like 20 pounds. <laughs> I know. I think... I think stereotypically we would say Spanish food because technically it's like Mediterranean. It's yeah. so healthy, this and that. But you can eat very unhealthy here in Spain because yeah, if you go can. for tapas, yeah. everything is fried. I agree. That's what my mom says all the time. Fried and if it's like on a piece of bread, that piece of bread is going to be white bread. It's not yeah, going to be, you know, wheat or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if you talk about like paellas and lentil soups and lots of vegetables, of course, mm. that's that's healthy. But in the United States, depending on what family family you live in, you know, you could eat really healthy and good food, too. But yeah. I do I do love I, I do love me some Spanish food for sure. But the truth is, like American food, I suppose it's also like a very bad image, but it's like fast food. People think it's right. fast food. Right. I, I don't really know what you eat in America, like in, at your home, you know, like healthy stuff. But is it American or is it just like imported from other cultures, you know? I know. When people ask me like, well, what do you guys have at birthday parties or what's your typical thing? And here in Spain, you would say for sure, what would you say? Like tortilla, empanada. Yeah. Those croquetas. are like croquetas. Yeah. Those are the go-to staples that you always have at parties. And in the United States, I don't know if there is a staple. I think mm. chips and salsa, for sure. That's like always around like uh, chicken wings or pizza. Okay, pizza's not that healthy. But um, mm. chi- like what we're eating right now, you have those cut yeah. up carrots. Yeah. Uh, raw vegetables is, yeah. a, is a very popular thing in the States. So, dep- I mean, depending on the family. But yeah, a big platter of like mm. carrots, broccoli, celery, um, olives, and then some hummus or guacamole. Like that's usually uh, mm. something pretty popular. And when I first came to Spain in 2009, 2010, Sarah Crooks, she would bring cut up carrots everywhere with her, like <laughs> on away games. And people would look at her like Sarah Castrillo would look at her like, are you yeah. kidding me? That's why you your your fingers look orange because you <laughs> eat so many carrots. Like they just weren't a thing. But I think I now, now all yeah. of a sudden they're becoming more popular here in Spain. I know. I know that the like the, the raw vegetables because my mom always used to make the have like the, the carrots uh. and it wasn't very common. And now they sell them all already cut up and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they are more common. But before it's like in Spain, we use bread for everything also. So if you have any sauce, you just like dip in the bread and yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, a not meal, a meal without bread is like not a meal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people use bread in Spain like just to like m- m- move their food and like to push their food onto <laughs> their fork. Yeah, my mom always used to say like, "What's that? Like, why do you use your bread?" To- <laughs> right. Yeah, and I mean we have bread in the United States too, but I don't know. I don't know. Food is food. Yeah. And you can make great food or you can make, you know, bad choices. But I think, Leslie, you'll be healthy anywhere you go. You'll always find the healthy options well, to eat. The croquetas and the palmeras de chocolate. I, I was definitely a little heavier my first year, first yeah. couple of years in Spain than I am now yeah. because I was eating too much of everything. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, anyway. Well, um, esto que, are there questions? 
Uh, no, Anotas, I think that's about it. Unless you have anything else you want to say or any other questions you want to ask. Mm, what, was, think... what was your experience playing with uh, Sarah Crooks and I back in the day? Because you were well, a post player, so you had to... Like... I know, I think uh, <laughs> you can you can add this part, like with Maria Larreti, she was also a post player, and we had to like, when we had the specific uh, parts of, of practice with you... I mean, I always felt like I was so lucky that I was p- having the opportunity to play with you, like American players. And I'd always been in Alcobendas, just my hometown. But just the fact that my club had this team in second division, I thought it was amazing. And then obviously all the other players who have been through the club. And I've always I, I've always felt like so, so, so um, lucky to, be, to, to have played with both of you. And then especially like... When you were both so like so so friendly and so nice, you know, you, you would think like these American players, and you, you don't know how you're gonna get on with them. And I think it was so cool. And then you were so nice, and you were like inviting us to to the flat and to to like make Thanksgiving meals and show us a bit more about your culture. It was so 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 cool, so great. And I was just 18 years old, as you said. I was just so just so young. Which that is another really, that's a benefit to playing in Spain or to being a, a young person in Spain because you get to learn from and play with exactly. women that are older. Yeah, you know? I know. In the United States, you don't get that because in high school, the oldest person is 18. And yeah. in college, the oldest person is like 22. Yeah. But in Europe, you can be 18 years old mm. and you can be playing with women that are 30. Exactly. I think that's something else that I can I can also say about my years in Alcobendas and uh, playing with all of you guys and like Sara Castrillo and Sheila and you know everybody, uh, Ana Mendy, Claudia. Well, you know the uh-huh. list. Ali. Uh huh. Those teams for me, they are really, really like they they are really proud of me, and I'm really proud to say that I've played and learned from all of you. And had a nice social relationship, and really like if I see any of you now years later, it's just it's, it's there's a connection. It's just so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And shout out to Sarah Crooks. She has three children. Yeah. Now, so she's uh, wow. she's she's doing her thing. But uh, and Claudia and Anna Arif Mendy now are mothers yeah. too. So, well, hope to see them soon. Yeah. Well, Anotas, thank you so much uh, for interviewing me for taking the time the second time hopefully this uh this actually works out and yeah (laughs) thanks so much for sharing your story with me what do you say in great britain like do you just say ciao do you say goodbye do you say toodaloo i i i always say ciao really but they say bye okay yeah bye okay well bye bye y'all more or less that's my life story in a nutshell however i'm realizing now that i did not tell you why i decided to start this podcast so uh long story short but the year before the pandemic hit i was playing in zaragoza spain and i had been thinking about what i would talk about if i were to start a podcast i already listened to several i enjoyed them and one of my teammates at the time decided to start her own as well Paulina Hersler from Sweden, thank you for being my motivation and my inspiration. 
I always found the differences between a European college education compared to that of an American student-athlete experience to be very interesting, as I had many teammates who were in their late 20s who were still working towards getting their college degree. And I thought, wow, the majority of student-athletes in the States are finished, they have their college degree when they are 22 years old. But in Europe, that's not necessarily the case. So I started the pod, started interviewing teammates, and then branched out to people I didn't even know. Um, And ever since then, this podcast has been rolling. So we talk about, you know, a little bit of everything, but we always touch on academics and athletics. I was a communications major in college and have always thoroughly enjoyed talking with people asking questions, and learning about their lives. So I thought, well, what better excuse to do so than on my own podcast? Um, And side note, the audio that follows is literally a hodgepodge of clips that I cut from our first interview, which took place almost 10 weeks ago now, as today I'm starting week 23 of pregnancy. Whoop, whoop. So if you haven't gotten enough of today's jibber-jabber, here's a sampling as to why we had to record for a second time. Because, um, you know, just, just being honest, the barking dog, the clanking of glasses, and the screeching, squeaking of doors was just too much. And I couldn't put you all through that. So... Uh, The conversation was a tad different the first time around than it was in take two, but um, if you're interested, I included several clips from take one. And other than that, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and if you could do me a favor, which I would greatly appreciate, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. It'll take you just a minute, and believe it or not, but your support can actually help get the word out to future listeners. Signing off for this week, everyone. Take care, and a shout out to the South Carolina Gamecocks on their national championship victory over UConn in the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament last night. And shout out to the Target Center and to my college uh, hometown in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where all the festivities took place. We shall see who wins tonight between University of North Carolina and Kansas on the men's side. Until next time, everyone. Ciao. (laughs) And we actually have a a surprise guest on the podcast as well today. Another post player. Another post player from Alcabendas that same year, right? Yes. Yeah. And who, who do we have sitting with us at this table? We have our Bilbao player, Bilbao Basket. Yes. Marga Larrechi. Hello. <laughs> Maria, don't be shy. You speak English fairly well as well. Not as well as you. <laughs> well, maybe not as well as Anna because she's bilingual because her mom is from uh, England. But you spent some time in Pennsylvania, right? In Philadelphia. Six months and then that's when you came. Uh-huh. <laughs> So you played the post as well, and I don't yeah. know if you want to share any memory that you have of of that year. Well, my, my best memory of that year was, as Anna was saying, I was playing with two 
American girls that were like, oh my god, they are so cool, so tall, so strong, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm tall, but not as strong, and I remember doing um, list weighing with you, with you and Sarah, and me uh, getting out the, the weight and putting for you, and then also playing one-on-one, one one. Mm -hmm. and the coach said, uh, the one that scores, uh, don't need to, to defend. So I was defending on the team. Right, you had to get a you had to get a stop on defense in order to then be on offense or yeah. to be out of the drill. So you were you were on defense and <laughs> all the time. <laughs> all the time. Poor Richie, she was exhausted. Poor, yes, it was so much. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. The, the question I was on you, so I'm going to let the microphone to Anna. <laughs> Um, I was going to tell you, also we went to Serrano 41, yeah. and I also felt it was like a, a trip, a, a night trip, <laughs> and I was the tour guy, <laughs> and I was taking the Americans to, to, to you know, the basketball night scene, remember, uh -huh. on a Sunday, yeah. to, to the funk and R&B session yeah. and stuff like that. Supposedly it was the bar where all the basketball players went in Madrid, and I remember thinking, oh this place is going to be deluxe. And then when we got there, it was literally like a hole in the wall in the basement, yeah. and there was no like ventilation. It was just very, but it was packed, and there was hip hop music, and um, yeah, I don't know. There were probably some male basketball players yeah. there from other teams. But. What I do remember of that first year too was that my Spanish was not very good. It was improving and I wanted to learn, but in the apartment with Sarah Krug, Sarah Castrillo, Marco Cobian, we would speak in charades basically, like with hand gestures and movements because I did not know how to express myself. And at the end of that year, I don't remember if you came, but Charlie invited us to Malaga. Okay. So the, a lot of the girls on the team, we went down to Malaga because his families from there and they have a house and I went with the team it was like a two or three day trip and I just remember being saturated like absolutely saturated of Spanish because I had no my Canadian roommate wasn't there you weren't there I couldn't speak in English with anybody and it was like two three days of straight Spanish and I was so just out of it the majority of the time because I couldn't keep up with the conversation so how was your Spanish by then? Because we have to talk about that. Please, your Spanish is amazing. My Spanish has improved big time. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's like my mom is never gonna lose her accent. Yeah. All my friends say like your mom is so English, but the, the 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 expressions, the everything, you just use like you use the Spanish expressions also like the. Well, thank you, Anna. But I, I have to say that after being here for 14 basketball seasons, I mean, I know, yeah. but some people don't do it. Some people don't because maybe they just don't have the interest, or maybe they don't have a Spanish boyfriend or a Spanish girlfriend, you know. And also, I think about it, I'm very grateful that I started in the second division because in the second division, I shared an apartment and I shared with Spaniards. In the first division, there are a lot of foreigners who come and either live by themselves or they live with another foreigner who speaks English. So they're really not forced to speak Spanish on a daily basis. And a lot of coaches now will speak more English and just more players speak English. So when you're a foreigner, you can have somebody translating for you. But when I was in Alcobendas, nobody was translating for me. Why weren't you translating for me, Anna? <laughs> 
I was already your driver. <laughs> but in a lot of people, I think a lot of our teammates did know some English, yeah. but they were also nervous to talk because they didn't want to make a mistake or they didn't want to sound silly. So nobody ever spoke to me in English. But looking back, it was a blessing in disguise because I was forced to yeah. learn and I wanted to learn. So it was. Yeah, because I don't remember any like practices being in English. I, I, I do think I, I used to translate some things. Probably. And Charlie did speak some English too, but I think the emotion would just come over him and most of the time it was in Spanish. And I remember like I did not understand a word he was saying that first year at all. And then little by little, like as the years went by and I started learning, I would look around and be like, Did he really just say that? Because, you know, some things that come out of his mouth were like not necessarily kosher or politically correct or professional. <laughs> and the Spanish Spaniards tend to Use swear words, use these expressions that in the United States in college I was never used to. So it was kind of funny once I did start understanding. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> That's right, I almost forgot about it. But in 2017, that was the 2017-2018 season, uh, Juanma and I decided to tie the knot in Logroño, and uh, we just got married at the city hall, and um, it was actually much more beautiful and much more personal than I thought it was going to be. The man who married us was a somebody who worked in City Hall and that was legally able to marry people. And he did such a nice job. Um, I was really impressed. It was kind of emotional, but it was just the four of us, Juanma and I, and then his parents came up from Madrid. And, um, you know, we, we said our I do's. They even gave us a, a painting and we have it hanging up in our house right now. Um, as like a little detail, a little gift. Um, and yeah, we got married in 2000, September of 2017. So, so just to, 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 to make a contribution, that's how many years after? Eight years since you arrived in Spain? Uh, yeah. Something like that. Well, it, I mean, looking back, it was a spectacular year. And look what we did. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You grew up in the first, first year of basketball back to Madrid because we were missing a team for so many years. Mm -hmm. and, and you made it with Estudiantes. Such a good club in Madrid. Whatever is meant to be will be. And, you know, I started the season. And here we are now, talking in this bar in La Plata o La Vive. <laughs> I'm drinking a zero zero no alcoholic beer. Yes. Because, because I am officially about 15 weeks pregnant. How great. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Great Cheers. Cheating. difficult for me to say that I still have trouble saying is the word for dimples. Oyuelo? Yes. Because there are like four vowels in a row there. H-O-Y-U-E-L-O. Oyuelo. Yeah. Did I say it correctly? pronounce it like as if it was two L's. Oyuelo. Oyuelo. What? It's still difficult for me. Maybe if I wrote it with two L's instead of the Y, I would be able to do it better.
or you will, or you will. Or you're not. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> you're not going to use it that much. No, but it's but, a good word to know. Yeah, it's a fun word to know. And I used to play with a girl that had some big dimples, and so we would. I asked, like, how do you say that anyway? And it's, it's hard. Um, what impresses me about the Spanish culture is some things that I just love. I feel like people are so up for anything all the time. Like. I don't know if it's because you guys eat dinner late or what, but when it comes to staying up late, having a good time, going out for a party or a drink, people do it all the time with so much gusto, like gusto. And it's just impressive because I wish I could be more like that sometimes. You know, but sometimes when it comes to 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, I get tired and I just want to go to bed. But Spaniards are just, they can, they can hang on and do it. And then they're up in the morning the next day and I just, it blows me away. But, and I'm talking to two professional women who have full-time jobs. And so a lot of people in the United States, they have these stereotypes maybe about Spain, but you two have changed jobs multiple times in the last 10 years. You've really, um, you know, fought like tooth and nail and continued to look for jobs, move your way up and improve yourselves professionally. What time do you usually wake up in the morning? If you had to go to the office, right now you're working yeah, from home, but. Like 7.15, 7.15. Mm -hmm. And then I have siesta we don't have a siesta from monday to friday or even ever you know everybody thinks it's funny because it's uh like your day from monday to friday this could be like get up at four past seven go to work then go training if you're playing basketball well, what time do you finish at the end of the day your well, job uh, my job i finish at half six or seven and then we go training from nine to eleven yeah and so you're getting home at half eleven and you're getting to bed at one basically because you're having dinner at twelve. So um, that is that is intense, Anna, because I I never had to do that. You know, I didn't. I haven't had a full time job and played at the same time. And for you to go to your full time job all day and then go train after that, and then not get home until eleven thirty, and that's when you're having dinner, and then to wake up the next day and do it all again, I literally that does not fit into my brain. Or if somebody chews gum with their mouth open, that's like a pet peeve. Like, I cannot stand it when somebody does that. So, talking about Spanish culture, um, this is probably just having to do with living in a big city because there are people around all the time. But when I walk down the sidewalk, I try to walk on the right side of the sidewalk, just like when you're on the street, you drive on the right hand side. Well, on the sidewalk, I try to walk on the right side. Um, and so many times other people don't move. They do not move for you. And, or maybe they'll even be walking like three or four abreast and you're just one person. And it's like, I'm the one moving for them when they should be the ones that are trying to make some room. And, or somebody will look at you and they'll see you walking towards them and they will continue standing exactly where they're standing without moving a little bit to help you, like to make your life a little bit easier so that you can get by. And I just feel like in the United States, in Minnesota, 
people are very conscientious about their space and about saying, oh, excuse me, or, oh, you know, and moving. But here in Spain, people do not move, and it is so frustrating. I'm like, I am the biggest, tallest person walking down the sidewalk. Move for me. I could knock you down. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes... Sometimes I tell Juanma that. I'm like, Juanma, you're not walking on the outside because you are too nice. You constantly are, like, moving behind me. I'm going to walk on the outside. And the next person that walks by me, I am hitting with my shoulder because I am sick of being the person that's moving all the time. I just don't understand it. (laughs) I don't know if you share that feeling with me. You do? 100%. Yeah, but I don't know if it's just because we live in a big city. Like, maybe in Chicago and New York it would probably be the same thing. But... I move but for I people. Yeah, yeah but I, I think also you were t- talking about the good things about Spaniards and we love like enjoying life. But my mom, she's English, you know, she talks about some sort of politeness that I think we're a bit less polite than other cultures. Yeah. But without realizing, we are polite in lots of things and we're educated, but sometimes yes. we're just like so like, I don't know if like it's not a big more deal. relaxed and yeah, like we're just like, just walk wherever you want and just move out of the way. I don't know. It's yeah. cultural as well. Yeah. Or if you bump into someone, you don't always say sorry. It's just like, it's going to happen, so yeah. who cares? Yeah. I don't know. And then as far as being on time, it's one thing, it's something that I like and something that I hate. Because if I'm running late, sometimes I'm like, oh, Leslie, it's no big deal. Nobody's going to be super mad at you. It's going to be okay. But if I'm making an extra effort to be on time and be there, and then all of a sudden we don't start for another 15 minutes, like if it's practice or whatever it is, I'm just sitting there thinking, seriously? You know, because that would never happen back home. Like if practice starts at 7 o'clock, you better be ready by 6.45 at least. And here, a lot of times, it's just very relaxed. Um, once we start practicing, we're intense, but uh, that's a, a big difference. And it's something that's ingrained. I feel like being on time is so ingrained in me that it's hard for me not to care or not to make the effort. Like today, when I was late meeting up with you, I was feeling bad about that and like a little nervous, but I was like, well, she's going to understand and it's, it's no big deal. <laughs> it was only like eight minutes, really. I thought when you said you were late, you know, it's been late, it's 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, everybody, that is officially a wrap. I think it's been long enough. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day and hasta luego. Hey.